What are they selling? Chocolate. <laughs> selling chocolate. <laughs> Co-sponsored by Sam's Pub. <laughs> See, this we should be recording. It is recording. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Turn and Dirt Podcast. You got your host Landon and Ben here and our guest Dylan Finken, where we talk about all things egg. Dylan, can you hear us? I can hear you just fine and clear. What are you up to today? Oh, just heading home after a weekend full of college friend get together and all the fun activities that's involved with that, including well, alcohol consumption. Why weren't we invited? You were invited. We just you didn't, didn't get show. the invite? I sent it last week. <laughs> Someone must have shot my pigeon down or something. Wow. Yeah, that was a fun weekend. Uh, yeah. The Svold ATV ride. That was, I don't know, we try to get together for it every year, it seems like, and it's always a good time. And, of course, <clears throat> there's always a uh, one night that gets a little out of hand sometimes, and then the next night is pretty uh, pretty laid back for the most part. So <laughs> The Langdon Long Islands will get you. <laughs> <laughs> no different than college, I guess, back then. So we're just a lot older and can't handle it like we used to anymore. So Yep. Try to relive the glory days, and sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Getting old sucks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, we were uh, landed in Ben here, are in the studio. Dylan's on the phone because he decided to leave early. <laughs> and, and by studio, we mean my basement on a card table. Yes. Some, someday we'll be in a high rise in downtown New York. So, with a full on radio show. Uh, not New York. <laughs> okay. Nebraska. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Do they Iowa. have high rises in Nebraska? I don't know. I was gonna say Fargo, but I don't really like Fargo either. So we could we'll just build one. Middle of the in. field. It's like your school. Yes. No. But we're just bringing a generator. <laughs> we're bringing a generator out <laughs> to the middle of the field. <laughs> recording set, a podcast. Set up a ice castle in the middle of the field. Anyway, so Dylan, why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little rundown on your background, kind of where you're from, where you farm, um, kind of what you grow. Well, I'm from uh, the western part of the state where the rain always goes around us. Uh, just southwest of mine, about 30, 40 miles or so. Farm with my dad and my brother-in-law. Um, I'm the fourth or fifth generation farm, I think. And we grow a little bit of anything and everything. Uh, no corn, though, but we got wheat, spring wheat, beans, soybeans, that is, field peas, oats, uh, canola, sometimes some chickpeas, sometimes some flax. Been a few years, but we've grown barley before, and we're also a seed farm, so everything but the. Uh, well, actually, I take that back. We do have some soybeans that we sell for seed that we grow and raise ourselves and clean, but everything that we grow, we have the opportunity to clean it and sell it for seed. And uh, yeah, that's a little bit about me, I guess. Yeah, I was going to mention, I guess, yeah, you guys have Finken Farms and Seeds too, so a lot of what you grow kind of is turned around to sell to other farmers. Or do you yep. keep quite a bit? Uh, we we had to keep and uh, grow it ourselves as well for like the next year. But uh, yeah, we we're more so geared towards like wholesaling because we don't have like the mark marketing connection, so to say. So we do a lot of wholesaling through like the local elevators and costs like that. And we do have some uh, retail sales to the farmers. This kind of depends on the year and the variety and what's coming down the pipeline for stuff and how well we can move it. 
So what's the biggest crop on your farm usually? Most acres? Uh, Acres-wise, it's probably a toss-up between spring wheat and soybeans. The last couple of years, it's been predominantly spring wheat. But then this year, with the way markets were looking, we put in more soybeans and more canola. Then as far as like seed sales, a lot of our seed sales come from pea seed that we sell, that we can regrow yellow peas. So Landon brought up on the first podcast that he likes to grow peas or they grow peas this year. And I just thought peas are my favorite thing to eat. So what what's the difference between the peas you grow and the ones I'm eating at my counter table? Uh, well, those are more so green peas. And these ones are yellow peas. It's just different, uh, just basically different color and how they look. And they have different characteristics to as far as like the nutrient analysis and all, on them and all that. Right. And so now most of your peas, do they go to feed? Ours go, yeah, for feed, but for like livestock feed as well as like dog food. I was going to say the dog food, uh, that's what I know. And they they have two different facilities in Devil's Lake, and I think one of them one of them is for the more or less the dog food, and then I think the other one is like a, they call it a fractionation process. I'm not sure what they use that for, I guess, but that's on my list of things to maybe go down and tour and see, kind of understand where peas are going to, I guess, but... Yeah, it's kind of interesting to think about or talk about is like what our what our crops go do. So we talked about this before. I we grow corn and soybeans on our farm. Our corn majority of that goes to ethanol. Um, soybeans are going to be a lot of we grow quite a bit of seed beans. So some of those are getting back into the seed system sold for the next year. Um, and the other parts of that, a lot of that just goes to PNW Pacific Northwest shipped out to Japan. But you guys that are growing these more specialty crops kind of have some more unique uh, uses or they're going to different places. So. Like the canola, a lot of that gets, I guess, crushed for oil, correct? Yep. A lot of ours, well, obviously we hauled it at the local elevator, but a lot of it goes to Hellock, Minnesota. They have a crushing plant in the middle of nowhere where there's canola around. So it's kind of goofy how that all works. But, um, yeah, and I was going to say the peas, you can eat these out of the field, but I, I just... Can, yeah, like it... Can confirm. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> once you... Once they're at that stage, you can still eat them like a garden pea, but some people say they send them to the bathroom right away, so they're not. I just uh, do not recommend eating peas after you desiccate the field. Yeah, that n- that's probably not <laughs> not recommended. <laughs> but uh, so now, I guess the uh, what we know you're struggling with right now is dry conditions, and uh, can you give us a little update on what things are looking like out your way? I know. Up here, even where we've gotten rain, it's it seemed like a significant amount of rain, but it all comes down so quickly that a lot of it runs off. It doesn't really soak in, and obviously we've gotten more rain than you guys have out there, But um, and even some of our crops are starting to look like they're in tough shape due to lack of moisture, but I can't imagine what you guys are kind of going through out there, and it's normally an every-year occurrence for you guys, it seems like. Yeah, the last four or five years, it seems like as a whole, we've been on the dry side. Because going the last fall, we were really dry. Throughout the winter, we got maybe, I don't know, a foot of snow, foot of snow or so. And really didn't have a whole lot of moisture in that stuff. But once that ran off, and, or once that melted and ran off this spring, it snow melt went off early at like, I don't know, uh, early March, I'd say. So we had, you know, all of March and April with bare dirt and with no moisture minimal rain in the spring 
I think in May, not May, in April, we had caught like, oh, I think we got like four inches of snow, that snowstorm that was April, like third of the fifth, somewhere in there. And that stuff seemed to have some decent moisture in it. But then from then on, up until pretty much two weeks ago, at the end of May, we hadn't had anything for rain. And a lot of guys in our area, we could have been seeding April 1st, but then we didn't want to put in, put in our crops in too early. Then we didn't want to wait for moisture either, because then if that's the case, we'd still be waiting to start seeding. So we couldn't wait for forever. Yeah, our wheat's in pretty tough shape. Same with our canola. Our beans so far have probably the best potential to make a crop. But in the near 10-day forecast, there's no signs of rain. And this last weekend, we were supposed to get uh, upwards of two inches of rain, and we got a quarter inch out of everything. So for those of you that are from, like, South America and don't know what snow is, four <laughs> inches of snow is not the same thing as four inches of rain. Four inches of snow might be the – it's probably like a half inch of, of water moisture, I imagine. So really – Yeah, it depends if it's a wet snow or if it's a dry, powdery snow. Yep. So – And I was yeah. even surprised, even up this way, we didn't have a whole lot of snow this winter. And usually – we're the complete opposite of Dylan. I mean, Dylan hardly gets rain. Usually up here, we're just getting nailed all the time. All It seems like we're always fighting mud. But these last couple of years have actually been quite different from the rest. We've actually been able to get the crop in at a decent time, it seems like. And other years, we haven't started till June seeding. So um, it's just crazy how much it differs from one side of the state to the other i guess yeah so dylan how how often are you i mean like you you're in a more arid climate like it's it's usually drier there so when was the last time you've had a a wet year a perfect year um i'd say i think it was like 15 or 16 we had a pretty average year like a good consistent moisture year uh like the last three years it's kind of been hit or miss where like in the spring of 20 we were super dry, and then the last June we had six inches of rain, and that saved uh, pretty much our entire crop for everything. And after uh, like the second or third of July last summer, we didn't get anything for rain. So, like last year, we still were able to pull a sixty bushel wheat, and then we had beans that did like thirty five that probably could have done you know mid to upper forties, but then we had Mother Nature hit with an early frost in the first week of September, so that kind of put a damper on that. But yeah, for the last like three years, kind of an alternating, either have a good wheat crop and a bad bean crop, or we have a bad wheat crop and a good bean crop. So I don't, it's been it's been a few years since we've had a good balance, a good true balance, not get all our rain at once. Last year was kind of a fluke year, but I'll take it one way or the other, I guess. Do you have any idea like what average rainfall for a in season is? Is it like Seven to ten inches, probably. Um, I want to say it's like twelve, around ten to twelve inches. I want to say. Yeah. So I you then, know like the I states and stuff. Those are like twenty-five inch averages. So we're we're talking we're getting yep. a third to half the rainfall as as like what the I states are getting, growing these crops. Yep. And even even in my part of the in eastern North Dakota, you know, we have heavy, the, the the big difference is we have heavier soil, so we can hold water a little bit better than what Dylan has. Dylan's in a sandier location. Um, yep. So we get a little bit more rain, but not a whole lot more. But we still—it's uh, still impressive what North Dakota can do off of maybe 10, 12 inches of rain in a year, and grow a good crop. But there's a lot. Of that, what that means is there's a lot of times in between those rains where we're, we're, you know, pretty worried about what's what's going to happen. And, and right now, most of the state is, is uh, under a pretty big drought. 
Yeah, I think our farm's like right in the bullseye of the darkest of the red in the drought monitor. Yep. So your but farm. I think. Yep, go ahead. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the worst uh, indicator of the drought is like uh, an exceptional drought, which I don't get how a drought can be exceptional, but I guess that's not my department and on how to label a drought, I guess. <laughs> You're not was, a meteorologist? Yeah. Yeah, I should be one. Be just as good as they are. <laughs> so I was gonna, I was gonna ask your. So your home farm's in Douglas, and they actually wrote yep. a, a song about how dry it is. I think it's called. Uh, it's called Douglas. It's by Toto, right? Yep, it is. Bless <laughs> the rains down in Douglas. Uh, do you do you bless yes. the rains down in Douglas? <laughs> yep. When when the rain's coming, I'm a dancing outside, and neighbors usually don't like to see what I'm wearing when I'm dancing, but that's not my problem. <laughs> And now, if I remember right, was it like a month ago, you kept leaving your uh, sunroof open on your, was it Suburban, to try to get it to rain, and then it finally yep. did one night? Yeah, we finally did get like a half inch to one night, and then I think like a week or so after that, we had caught two inches of rain over the weekend on like our home farm, but then a couple miles away, then our fields got less than an inch of rain. But even the fields that are on the farm, they got two inches, like looking at it now after it had a chance to recover, the ground's just so dry that even with those two inches of rain, it hardly did anything. Right. You yeah. expect the wheat to take off, but the ground is so hard that you know our wheat throw our wheat seeded down an inch and a half, inch three quarter deep, which you know average wheat seeding depth like three quarters of an inch. And after that two inches of rain, the moisture was still only in the top half inch to three quarters of an inch of the soil. So like that rain wouldn't even get down to where we're seeded at. Right. And I think just people don't understand, like uh, you know, we're so far behind in rainfall that even you know, a lot of people say like we need what we, what we need is a nice slow soaking rain of like two inches and that'll get us yep. this first start. And then in a week we need the same thing. And then in another week we need the same thing again because yep. we're what, what's happening. The, the top is so like, there's no soil structure left to the top. It's so dry. It's so beat by the wind. Um, I came up here on Friday. I was driving up here at like, well, there was what fifty mile an hour winds up here, like a sustained forty five mile an hour wind with fifty two mile an hour gusts or fifty four, and uh, you guys, how much rain did you had on? Was it Friday? Friday morning it rained, right? Yeah, we got uh, what did it amount to? Was it like thirty three hundreds? But um, we had got like an inch, little over an inch earlier in the week. But there again, it it come down so fast that a lot of it ended up running right off. Didn't really soak in and. At this point, I mean, we like you said, we we're gonna need inches of um, a nice slow soaking rain, and then days after that that aren't ninety degrees to crest over the top, and you know, right. So you know, so like on the way up here when it was blowing that hard, we were, there was dirt blowing. I have pictures on my Twitter of, of like you can only see a hundred feet on the highway. Uh, came up to this intersection, two state highways, and you couldn't even I couldn't see across the intersection to see if there was anyone coming. And, uh, and it's crazy because it just rained. Yeah. So we're, uh, North Dakota's kind of in a, in a tough spot right now. We've got kind of crop conditions all over the place. On my farm, we have stuff that looks really great yet because it's, it's was PP'd last year because we had back-to-back two of the wettest years we've ever had. Um, and now we've come to this point. Like last, I had to think when it stopped raining. It probably stopped raining around July or August last year. And just it got hot, got windy, and it's just really dried out the ground pretty fast. So Dylan, uh, looking forward here to kind of later summer and into this fall, what, what do you think is going to kind of happen in your area? I mean, are you going to 
be able to get the combines out of the shed or is it going to be one of them deals where I guess you probably won't know till closer to the harvest the way things are going? I mean, I feel like I've been saying this for like two or three weeks now, but we'll see what the next week brings and whether or not I pick the combines out. But we keep on, you know, keep on getting this rain like we have been. Like this last quarter inch that we got didn't do anything for us. I mean, it might push some of our early wheat from like to actually have a crop, but then it's going to be like 10, 15 bushel wheat that, you know, 14 inches tall at crop insurance is probably going to make us go out to combine that. So if we do have anything to harvest, it's not going to be uh, a very big crop, that's for sure. So do you think we're going to see, I can't remember what year this was. It's been the last three years that you guys were pretty dry and a lot of wheat got uh, just cut and bailed for, for hay. Is that uh, I want to say it was 2018, like, but I don't think the wheat now would even get tall enough to really make it worth to go out and hay it. Right, and that's what I've heard is it's it's that bad that it's not worth haying. But at the same time, I think the hay conditions across western North Dakota are, are just so terrible that we might see some some crazy things this year. Yeah, like the pastures are still bare. There's some sloughs that have even – there's some grass growing there, but it's not near as like what there should be there, so – like, at least with us, you know, crop guys, like we have crop insurance to fall back on, but with cattle guys, they really don't have any sort of insurance to fall back on, so they're almost just forced to sell and take it in a short worse than we are. Right, and I can't remember, I saw the tweet last week about how many cattle head were sold at the rugby sale last week. I think it was it was several thousand, like, it was, it's ridiculous. It wasn't like 1,500 head last week, and then they already had like 2,000. Yeah, uh, I know. For this upcoming week. Yes, it was over 2000. It's it's crazy. Like the auctions are I don't know what a normal auction is there. Um especially but for this time of the year it shouldn't be much. And uh and it used to be or I think when I saw that same tweet is usually that this time of the year they're like bi-weekly sales of like 800 to 1000 head and they're do, they're doing 1500 to 2000 every week now. Yep. And I know there's talks of some of these places going to sales twice a week. It's it's that bad. People are you know, that's what do you do when the when you don't have grass, the crops aren't going to be. You know, some of these guys plant silage corn, and the corn looks terrible in these drought conditions. And even like last year, it wasn't a good hay year either. So it's not like these ranchers have a stockpile of hay to sit on that they can keep feeding their cows throughout summer. They're going out to pasture, but even if they did, they'd burn up all their supply, feed them in the summer, and then they'd have no new crop of hay to be able to feed through the winter. So either way, they're in a tough spot. Yeah, so you, you usually do some haying on the side, kind of a, you don't have cattle, but you guys used to have cattle, right? Yeah, we used to have cattle up until, I think, early 2000s, and we sold those, and then my sister and I had gotten into some goats, and those quickly left the farm because I couldn't stand them. But, um, so we had all the equipment for making hay, and I made an SFA project out of it, and I still do a little bit of, of haying, but I think this year, what little hay we could make, I think we'll just have the neighbors do it because they need it worse than we do for, you know, an extra cash crop. They... It's their livelihood that's at stake here, not us trying to make an extra buck here and there. So, right. I mean, do you think we're going to is to the point where we're going to see? You know, we've we've seen this in the past where North Dakota farmers have sent hay on trucks to places like Oklahoma and, and places that have been affected by fires and droughts. Um, right. Do you think it's going to we're going to see the opposite thing this year, where we're going to be getting relief to North Dakota? It's that bad. I mean, it'd be nice, but then I know the rest of the, like the Midwest, like South Dakota and Nebraska and Kansas, they're all. It's not like they're sitting on an abundance of rain and hay either, so it's kind of a widespread thing where they they may have enough to get themselves by for the year, but they're not in a position, you know, to be shipping out loads of hay yep. either. So honestly, I don't see that happening. It'd be nice to see it happen, but I don't see how it would. Right. 
So the other thing I wanted to bring up, something that I know you know a little bit about, and it was I actually saw, I think, a TikTok on it this week, but uh, cloud seeding. And I don't know if it's allowed in Ward County anymore, but I mean, what it like fertilizing clouds so they rain? <laughs> what? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a touchy subject and an interesting subject at that. But yeah, in Ward County, the county commissioners voted nine to one to uh, cancel or to stop cloud seeding. That was back in the uh, fall of, I want to say 2019. And then, but now they just moved out from Ward County. Then now they're going out like this last storm. They were out on the Montana border and they go up and they conduct uh, or inject silver iodide. I think not iodine, but iodide mm-hmm. in the clouds. It's supposed to prevent it from hailing, but supposed to increase the rain capacity of the storms. But like more times than not, like I got plenty of screenshots of then of like the radar moving towards us and then you'll see it overlap like where the flight path has been where these planes have gone out and then like after the storm hits that area the storm pretty much just uh, fizzles out and goes back to nothing and then when it gets about 40 miles east of us then those storms just coincidentally start to pick up back again and it starts raining again so correct me if i'm wrong but is it the idea is it's supposed to help like make it rain though too isn't it but it it's or... right it's supposed to but what it's supposed to do, which what it actually does, are two different things from what everybody else, from what everybody has seen. Right, and I think in, in the, that video or, or tweet I saw, I think it's only allowed in four counties across the United States. Like this isn't something that happens, and they're all in North Dakota too. Yes, yep. So like four places in the in the whole United States allow this. Four counties, and four of them, or all four of the counties are in North Dakota, and I believe they're all in Western North Dakota. Um, yep, in some of the driest places. <laughs> Uh, yep. it's kind of an interesting thing. I just saw, I guess the video is just kind of interesting about how, uh, just, you know, a lot of, there's a, well, obviously there's a lot of disagreements because no one really can prove that it, it works or it doesn't. And I'm sure it's expensive. We can't just afford to send planes into storms to spray out chemicals. So I think we better just yeah. keep Dylan, you know, in his, uh, trailer house here doing the rain dance. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> we could move some of that funding over to your, your dancing lessons. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then maybe I, with that funding, I can uh, teach my interpretive dancing. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> the thing I wanted to bring up, and I should have brought it up a little earlier, you were talking about rain measurements already. And uh, this is kind of a rolling joke we had through college. And this, this is the times when, in like I suppose it would have been, um, in not, well, 20, I suppose you guys were dry in 2020 when we were still getting pounded with rain and I would always joke cause in 2020, I don't think I dumped my rain gauge out once when there was less than an inch of rain in it. it whenever it rained, it was over an inch of rain. It was just crazy. And so everyone would always ask, you know, how much rain do you get? And it's like, well, we got, you know, in 1.2 or 1.3 or, you know, inch and three tenths. Um, and then you ask Dylan, like Dylan, how much you get, how much range you get? And you like five hundredths, three hundredths, fifty five hundredths. And so we always joked about how uh, you guys measure rain in hundredths because it comes only in increments of hundredths <laughs> at a time. Yep. Uh, so it's kind of a funny thing. What do you? It's. It's. I've seen it. I don't know if it's just me. Uh, I just in my area, everyone always goes by measurements of tenths. Or I've even like you get five hundredths, and I'll be like, oh yeah, we got a half a tenth, and uh, it's just kind of one of those funny. <laughs> yeah. See, I'm not intelligent enough. When somebody starts saying you got half a tenth, I'm like. Okay, Langdon Math, don't fail me now. Don't make me look like a fool. <laughs> but you or even somebody, it's they say they got ten hundredths. Yep. And everything you learned in school has just gone to shit on how to r- reduce fractions. <laughs> yep. 
So we all ended up meeting in, in college. I can't even remember if we brought this up. So we all went to Lake Region together. Dylan and I actually were the same. Okay, start over. We're all the same age, but obviously we, Landon was a year behind us in college because he just wasn't as smart. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I got held back. <laughs> but uh, Landon, what did you go to school for your first year? It was like construction? Yeah, so I went uh, to NDSES down in Wapton, North Dakota, just south of Bend, actually, and uh, went from 17 miles from the Canadian border to, I think, 23 miles to the South Dakota border. And... Uh, no, I went for building construction for a year, and then um, the instructor was retiring, and they kind of had a bunch of fill-ins to kind of get us through the program. And they it was a two-year program. First year was residential. Second year was construction or um, commercial. commercial construction. And they didn't know if there was going to be much of a future um, for that program, and they debated on moving it to a one-year program. Um, so I kind of – I. Loved doing that. We built a house, got to pour a basement foundation for the house we built in the shop. And uh, so after that year, I decided, you know, I want to go into something more agriculture related. So I looked into Lake Region. I know they had a pretty well-defined um, program at that time. And Wapton didn't, I checked there and they didn't really have a whole lot of the precision egg side, it was more the egg management, which they do have precision egg now, if I remember yeah, right. it started probably the year after you transferred, I suppose. Yep. So then uh, by that time, I just kind of made the decision to move to Devil's Lake. Um, it was a little closer to home, so it was nice. I could head home, you know, after school some days and uh, help out around the farm. Or um, I did help another one of our classmates in corn harvest there. Um, just west of Devil's Lake, but um, so yeah, I did a year in Wapton with that, and then I come in a year later. So if I would have just went to Lake Region right after college, I would have been the same same grade as or same classes as Ben and Dylan here. So, um, but no, definitely good friendships made there for sure. We did, we all did a lot together. It seems like so. Yep, and Dylan and I were roommates through college, and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we uh, we had statue limitations isn't in place yet, so <laughs> we'll move on to the next topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was it was a good time. I mean, we all had obviously we still went to class, but that was one of the things where I don't know about Wait, you, you guys. Yeah, I would say we were like the most responsible, irresponsible people. Yeah, I mean, it it was I don't know. To me, it felt like you weren't even going to school. I mean, it you go to class every day, you learn something new every day, and I thought it was a blast. Um, it helps when you got good instructors, good teachers, and um, definitely they had a shop and everything. I mean, you're more than welcome to pull something of your own in to work on it, change oil in your pickup, or just, I don't know, it was kind of a world of difference to see kind of yeah. the different different sides of agriculture, I guess, if you want to say that. But Yeah, it's kind of rude to decide to build a new building to the A program right after we get out of there. Um, so Yeah, we the, the old building that we were in when, in college, when we went to college here was uh, – it's, I mean, we had jokes about the, I mean, the the wind would blow in the wintertime and it felt like there was a wind chill inside the building. <laughs> Budget cuts were pretty bad. Yeah. But yeah, the, but thanks to some new donors in the state, I think they just built like a several, I don't know, is it $3 million? I think that's what I had heard at one yeah. time. But and it's like a hundred by hundred shop and hundred by hundred classroom area and it's huge just, and beautiful and yeah, beautiful building. Um, 
and it's right on main campus and lake region i guess if people don't know lake region is a pretty well i mean it's all almost under one roof i mean you don't if you have to walk outside it's literally right across the street from the dorms to get to a class or um but for the egg kids we drove a mile north of town to an old tractor dealership right? i mean the old, the old case dealership yep so now this building the new one is on campus so i mean everything is a pretty small campus but you know that's the best thing about it i think is everybody's so close i mean the right. class sizes are what I think we had seventeen in our class. Yeah, about seventeen to twenty-five. I think now and now, like they have the, you know, that, that started. I think our second year is when they rented the land. They actually have forty acres yep. of, of land that they're farming for the program. So you actually are out in a field. You know, you're going to put your own practices into place, and that that field is literally right across. Like it's a hundred yards away from the new building. So it's you, you walk through the through the opening through the trees, and you're you're right into the field, right working on the on the ground. So, yep, that's. You can't get much uh, more hands-on than that. I mean, it could be sitting in a classroom to, um, hey, well, let's go look at the field here and see what, see what's going on, and or to provide a demonstration of what's going on. So, um, yeah, we were we were pretty fortunate to have what we had, and now I think those guys are just gonna be spoiled in that new building. So, <laughs> but I haven't even been through it or to see it really. I drove by it one day, but. Um, have either of you guys been in it? Yeah, I was. You were with Dylan when we weren't you? Agronomy yeah. on Ice. Yep. Stop by, oh, talk yeah. fresh there. Got a little tour. Yep, Agronomy on Ice. That's the things you do in North Dakota. You have an agronomy show on a lake in the middle of winter, and nobody complains. It's nope. just, just a great time. I have yet to make it there, but uh, if you haven't been ice fishing before, it's a good time. Yeah, it's kind of like our when we get together as just college friends outside of Agronomy on Ice. There's always one night that's a little more rowdy than the other and it leads into the other the next day. I think you, one thing you people don't understand is you can go ice fishing without ever drilling a hole. I think we did that a few times in college. Yep. Definitely <laughs> that a few times. We had, we had Bluetooth lines and fish just magically appear on top of the ice. Yep. That's a good way to put it. Yep. Um, so I got another question here for you, Dylan. Um, back to your farm operation, I guess, but... You you guys do have a pivot, right? For, for yep, irrigation. We have, yeah, we have one center pivot that this year we put soybeans on it for the first time, and it'll it'll be interesting to see how it does because looking at the neighbors' pivots, because they have three just south of ours. Because in this area, this it's probably about uh, two miles wide by like six miles long. There's an aquifer that can support pivots. That's why there's we do have pivots where we're at because there's aquifer to support it, and even though we do have the ability, you know, to give it water, there's not enough supplemental moisture to really help it keep going. So you're watering it almost every day, it seems like. And in these 90, 90 degree, 100 degree days, the power company cuts you off on off peak. So then, uh, then you know, everyone's running their air conditioners full blast all day. Then pretty much you're just stuck to running it like eight hours a day overnight which is probably the time to do it anyway that way it's not evaporating before it even hits the ground but it'll be interesting to see what those the soybeans do this year from, from the pivot compared to the, our dry land our first year doing it yeah i, I was i was kind of asking that question on the way up here trying to get a, a better grasp on that of like is it even like is it so dry that even the pivot isn't going to be i mean it'll help but it's not yeah like, looking at the, some of the neighbors pivots they uh they're they're also they're in rough shape they got corn on it so those 
Oh. Did we lose them? They're off out oh, there. You're back. <laughs> we lost you for a second, but yeah, you're saying all the, uh, the pivots look a little tough out there on, on yeah. the corn. So, And talking about corn, yeah. I think one of the craziest things is that you guys have an ethanol plant in Underwood. And uh, how much, I mean, there's corn around you guys, but it's it's pretty like few and far between. But what's crazy right now, I, I've heard that they're paying a dollar premium basis for corn right now. Have you heard that as well? Yeah, I've heard that too. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to us in our plant here. Because I think, I think I heard just in the last couple of weeks that the uh, power plant and the coal mine are getting, they did find someone from North Dakota to buy it out because, uh, uh, what's the company that owns it now out of Minnesota? I can't. There's concerns that when that company would leave, I think in 22, that they didn't know what happened to the ethanol plant. But I think now that they found a buyer, then it kind of gives guys around the area uh, kind of some reassurances that, you know, that since they found a buyer, that the ethanol plant should uh, continue to be operational then. Yep. So for those that don't know in Underwood, it's like in a. Well, it's, it's lignite coal, isn't it? What it's called? L- or ligma coal? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, they, they... I'm from blast. there and I don't even know. Anyways, but it's, uh, I don't remember what do they call it. It's not surface mining. It's called, it's something they call, they have a spe- specific name for the, or strip mining or something, but it's kind of unique if you're in the area ever. Um, oh, I got another topic too about things that are unique to your area. <laughs> Let me write down nuclear missiles. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the the ethanol plant is literally right next to the coal plant. So the coal plant produces the power for the ethanol plant. And uh, was it about a year ago they they talked about closing the coal plant, which is beyond. I don't think anyone knows why, or it's just it doesn't make sense. Obviously, you know people are trying to go to green energy, but like when we're thinking about how that coal plant's closing, and then this spring when there was that whole ice storm in Texas and the world's blacking out, and we're gonna just take off this huge coal plant. And uh, yep. shut off the production just doesn't make sense to me. And I think like that, I got a few friends on Snapchat that uh, work at the coal plant, and last week like they had their power restricted as well because people were running their air conditioners full blast. So it's kind of ironic how people want to go away from coal powered energy, but yet they still use it all the time. Yep. Yeah, but if you're ever in that part of North Dakota, I think it's I drive by that every time I come up to your place, and I just I'm amazed by the size of the equipment and. So they actually strip the top of the earth off. It's not like an underground mine. It's they're they're digging down. I don't know. It's, it's probably several hundred feet, and yep. uh, just huge machines pulling out that coal. Huge shovels. Huge, huge. You know, obviously mining equipment is just massive. So pretty unique to see. It'd be kind of fun. I don't know if they do tours or whatnot, but that'd be pretty cool to see. Did they ever find dinosaurs? I'm sure they have found one or two. <laughs> 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 No, so, yeah. I, I think, how far are you from, like, the Hazen-Beulah area? Uh, well, as a crow flies, I'm probably only, like, 50 miles north, but because of Lake Sakakawea, it probably takes me about an hour and a half to get there. Okay. So what is Lake Sakakawea? That's the uh, dam that's, or the man-made lake when they made the Garrison Dam that, uh, was, the Missouri River runs through it, and then they have a hydro plant at the Garrison Dam then. Yep. So I think one of the, I think it's, I, I don't remember the stat off my top of my head, but I think Lake Sakakawea has more shoreline than the whole state of California has. So interesting yep. fact. Yep, really. So it's the largest man-made lake in the United States. So that's another, it's kind of funny. Like I always think, well, I, I know Eastern North Dakota is very boring. It's very flat. There's nothing there. 
there's like one lake in my whole county and it's a man-made lake uh but it's kind of cool to get out to western north dakota there's actually some views some things to see and things yeah like the that. whole lake's pretty much six miles wide by probably oh 90 to 100 miles long it pretty much goes from highway 83 to uh well it goes well past newtown i know that for sure i think it goes not quite to williston but don't hold me to that, but it's it's pretty pretty big lake. So There's now, a few fish in there. Is there um, farmland close by there that they can pump water for irrigation if they want to do out of there, or is there like a um, like a yep, limitation? Some, I don't know if there's any limitations, so to say, but I do know there's some farms, uh, at least on the north side, I'm more familiar with that area. That uh, there are a handful of pivots down within like two three miles of the of the lake. Okay. Yeah, I guess I've never been down really that direction, but I know um, when we'd be out playing hockey in Hazen, um, we got, I don't, I think we toured, is that a coal mine down in Hazen? Yeah, there's a couple by Beulah. There's, okay. there's one north of Beulah and one south of Beulah. Okay, maybe that's the one we were at. But I know one morning we got up before a game and just kind of drove around and some guy gave us a full tour of the kind of the whole place. And um, yeah, like Ben said, the machines that they use, Kind of to do a lot of this, it's it's unbelievable. So back back to Sakakawea. The uh, so California has 840 miles of coastal of shoreline, and Sakakawea has 1,320 miles of shoreline. So it's I think it's like 110 miles long. They said so, <laughs> pretty impressive. How many miles of shoreline does Alaska have? <laughs> Let Ben pull it up on the Google machine. Yeah, he's Mister Google for us. So now, like, these crops that you put under your pivot, are they mainly for, like, selling seed, or is it stuff that you just keep yourself? Yeah, we try to put, like, our specialty crops, so to say, like stuff that's, you know, foundation seed or registered seed, uh, like a higher pedigree stuff. So, like, last year we had, uh, what did we have? Oh, yeah, we had field peas on there. They probably ran, like, 50 or 55 bushel. And just because we were so dry that compared to, I think we had peas on there in 2017, 2018, uh, those peas did like 70 or 80. So just because we don't have the supplemental moisture, like it, it does make a big difference in you get rain outside of you putting down whatever you're putting on with your pivot. So yeah, usually it's been like wheat or peas and we've tried flax a time or two. We put oats down. And I know when we put oats in our pivot, you have a bunch of straw. So we have the neighbors bail up all the oat straw for us. So uh, 6,640 miles. <laughs> okay, so we're not quite there yet. <laughs> okay, so back to, uh, since I have like a squirrel brain here. So but anyways, back to the nuclear missiles. <laughs> what, what, like how many, how many missiles do you farm around? Uh, one, two, Three. Uh, there's three right along the Douglas Highway that we farm, not necessarily next to, but damn close to. But then other stuff, other missile bases clear close by. There's at least four or five more. So then, you know, eight, but it's pretty much like a twenty miles square area. I'd say twenty to forty miles square area. Yep. So like this spring, I think you sent us all a Snapchat, and you got pulled over by military police. 
Yeah, which I don't know if they really have the jurisdiction to pull us over, but I was pulling a big scraper at like 30 miles an hour anyway, so I was just courteous and pulled off. But yeah, there was a big old convoy of police cars, the Humvees, and then there's a semi. Some Sometimes they're carrying the nuke, sometimes they're not, just, you know, it's like training, so to say. And there's a couple Blackhawks flying above you, too. And I just know if we ever do go to nuclear war, I'll probably one of the first ones to know and if I see a missile go off, I'm just going to park the tractor and be like, well, no sense in farming anymore. <laughs> I, I, always, I always joke with Dylan. Like, just, I couldn't even imagine you're just out there seating in the field, taking a Snapchat, and just a nuke goes off, starts flying through the air next to you. <laughs> like, shut the drill go or shut the drill down and go to the bar. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm getting drafted here in the next couple of days. <laughs> and, yeah, so this this area is fully operational nukes. Or, well, not nukes, but missiles, right? They're nukes, yeah. Uh, what? Yeah, they're nuclear weapons. I guess so. Yeah. They're warheads. See, like all the missile bases around us up here have been like decommissioned. There's nothing. I mean, people park farm machinery in them now, I guess. But yeah. yeah, North Dakota had tons of missile bases, and it's it's like you see, you see the remnants of them, especially on the east side of the state. A lot of those ones are shut down. Well, I think probably all of them are on the I, east side of the state. I think so. One of them, a guy from New York bought and tried to open up for like a tourist attraction. Um, that hasn't been open uh the guy north of langdon bought one made it into a house um so yeah i mean that's just you get the oddballs that try oh, yeah. to do something with that, that one that's isn't there that big one by your farm that they tried selling on stephas like this time last year yeah i don't remember it was pipers yeah there was one or pipers there we go it was up here though wasn't it yeah i don't, I don't remember if that's the one for. maybe the guy that new york or from new york bought I just, I think it's like there, there's a one missile control site that's, I think it's between your farm and Langdon. Yep. Where it's like, man, if I, if I lived up here, I'd be trying real hard to buy that and fix it up and live in it. It'd just be the, the coolest thing ever. Well, and so the one. Every man cave being a bunker, 80 people low ground or 100 people low ground. Yeah. And so the guys actually, um, so we have a big, well, it's Nakoma, about 13 miles south of Langdon. They have a giant, they call it the Stanley R. Mickelson complex. And uh, that was quite the operation to try and get that built back in the day during the Cold War, I believe. And it, I mean, it's it's an impressive site. I mean, they had the, their own grocery store, a bowling alley. I mean, they had everything. And it was fully operational for one day. And then was it some treaties or something were um, signed? So they spent all this time, money, I mean, how many years? And uh, So this was an... I, well, Cold War, that had been 80s, right? Or, or late or 70s or somewhere in there. So I just looked it up. Excuse me. Just looked it up. It, was, it cost $6 billion to build. Back in 1970-something or late 70s. Yeah, operational for a day. I think like two yep. weeks. There's people there for two weeks. It was fully operational for like a day and then got shut down. Yep. And so they got this giant pyramid in the middle of nowhere. And I think they said the walls are like, are they three feet thick? Solid God, concrete? It's... it's if you're ever interested, just look up like Nicoma missile site or something. Yep. It's just, it's very, very interesting. How much did you say that it cost to build? Six billion dollars. B boy. So to put that in perspective, that buy has been like a half section of land. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. But no, they, it's... they claim that that pyramid, it's kind of like the, the whole iceberg deal. Like there's like only a third of it is above ground. And I mean, this is quite, Quite a few feet in the air, but a lot of it is underground, I guess. And so they recently, 
supposedly are trying to fix it up or were in the process was the rumor to fix it up to try and get um kind of get some tourism up here and take people through because nobody's really been in there and nobody really knew what was going on in there so this would just be kind of a way to inform the public or just bring people in to see how everything was and um it would be a lot of work i know they had crews in there to kind of look to see what they would have to do but everything is kind of pretty far gone as far as rusty and they'd have to have crews in to come clean that up and um, I heard it's full of water too, and the water's like contaminated. And yep. yeah, there's a lot of a lot of so, things wrong. We there, start but. a Facebook group and uh, just make a random date and just rate it like the Area 51 <laughs> rate. There we go. People have tried that. Uh, I think they ended up in the county jail here. Really? They uh, don't get me with a good time. <laughs> no, nah, they didn't rate it, but they uh, <laughs> tried to break in. Yeah, going. Yep. And a lot of these old missile bases. I mean, there's always somebody trying to get into them, and some of them. Um, it's like a giant egg underground and some of them haven't been filled in. So, I mean, it, and there's obviously there's no power in there. So if it's dark, you don't know where you're going. You could, you could end up in one of them. Yeah. So out at Cooperstown, North Dakota, they have a, they, they have a missile site, which there's not a whole lot there. It's just the cover is still there and you can kind of, they have a little information about the site, but then they also have a missile control center. I don't remember what they're called, but every once in a while you'll see a fenced in, it looks like a, house type building you know obviously you can tell it's like an old government building they're all yellow looking <laughs> yep uh, but they're the missile control sites and they would control they would be the ones that actually could could launch missiles or the several missiles that they controlled in that area so there's one in cooperstown that's been like uh when they i mean when they abandoned them they like didn't pull out everything so it's really cool so you can go tour it they have the whole like elevator shaft working so you, you go down 100 feet into the cement bunker and then this is it's like you said it's an egg-shaped room and it's it's flat floors, but you're on like a hydraulic floating platform because it was, it's all designed like if a nuke hit the base that you would be safe down there supposedly. Um, and they have all the controls. You could see like the, where they would turn the keys and the, hit the buttons to, to launch the, the nukes. And it's pretty cool. So definitely uh, if you're in North Dakota, check it out. So we're not sponsored by North Dakota Tourism, but I should probably reach out after today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they'll reach out to us after listening. Yeah, no to kidding. This. But uh, yeah, no, there. I didn't know that one was like you could go in and tour it. Yeah, it's it's really cool. So hmm. interesting. Yeah, if um, I were trying to break into one out by me, I would be surrounded by M16s in a matter of minutes, yeah, probably. Because yeah. <laughs> I also am like a half, uh, like forty-five minutes away from the airport space. So, so yeah, it wouldn't end well for me. I'd probably never see daylight ever again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess, uh, so yeah, you guys pretty well sell seed, I guess just kind of maybe wrapping things up here at the end, but, um, you guys do have a website, don't you? If somebody decided they want to, or if they're looking for seed, um, to try yep, and get a we hold got of you guys. website, thinkingfarmsandseeds.com, where we got our prices listed and like contact information. And we got some other links that connect to, uh, the website to the, uh, other companies that we sell for, we sell being soybean seed for legacy seeds they're based out of alice north dakota and then all our small grains like field peas are sold from uh, the meridian varieties they're based out of west fargo now i believe yeah so throw us with your social media tags it's uh, or, or what <laughs> where do people find dylan finken or do you not want them to find you um honestly i can't remember what my uh, twitter handle is anymore dfink underscore uh, four <laughs> uh, okay yeah that sounds about right 
But yeah, there's that, and then there's our website. Uh, one of these days, I keep on telling myself I need to make a Facebook page for the farm, but maybe this summer with all my extra time with my hands, I'll finally make one. Yeah, sweet. Well, I guess the other thing, too, is we have our Instagram page called Turn and Dirt. We're kind of active a little bit there, not not much lately, but yep. you can find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot, so I'll probably, I think I'm going to post stuff regarding our episodes and maybe post some pictures of Nicole on the way home and things like that. Cause it's, I think it's just awesome. It's cool. Um, I'm, I'm a geek on that stuff. So I try to post on Twitter, but sometimes it doesn't always, it's more questions wondering where stuff is and how to get stuff available. But, uh, my, I think my Twitter, is it, is it just Landon Johnson? I'm supposed to know yours too. Well, you have it up. <laughs> I think it's just Landon Johnson 10. So yeah, follow us, follow us along. We're going to keep doing these episodes. So this is fun. Thanks, Dylan. That's Dylan Finken. From, yeah, thanks for having me. From Douglas, North Dakota, big town of Douglas. And uh, until next time, we'll see you all again. So thanks for listening to the Turn and Dirt podcast.